The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution or don't listen at all. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening are listening to a Rattledgeon Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, the king of the talkies, the silent movie star, <laughs> Robert Winfrey, yay! I tell you, Mark, some days it just doesn't pay to have a face for radio and a voice for the silent pictures. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'll tell you what for. Here's what I need to say to you. All said. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Never has the title of our show been more appropriate than talking (laughs) about this film. Has... The city, the the city of Hollywood, the town of Hollywood, had more masturbatory projects about it than any other city on Earth. No, I mean it's close, but no. You want to talk about Uh, Mark? I'm going to offend you. Oh, please. Nobody has the. There is one city that has been jerked off to more than any other, and it Mm -hmm. ain't L.A. New York. I, pre- I present to you the New York City with its, with its self-importance. You Where un- number one? Where number one? <laughs> in nothing that matters. I it apologize is to the New Yorkers listening out there. No, you shouldn't no, you have don't. me self. No, no, <laughs> I do. But you should be self-aware enough to know that I'm telling the truth. Never in my life have I experienced more masturbatory projects about the city of Hollywood. When when you think of think think about this. Hollywood has contributed to culture in a way that most other cities uh, can't claim to. True. But that's that's kind of it. And one could argue that the excesses and vice of Hollywood offset the culture it produced. I would, and yet, I would agree with that. <laughs> and yet, we find ourselves with yet... A three-plus-hour dedication, a three-hour celebration of the city that creates one of the cities on Earth. It's not the only one. You may have heard of a country called India. It's not even Uh, close. Like most Hollywood Hollywood productions, don't even shoot in Hollywood anymore. Like because California's tax setup sucks. 
a three plus hour celebration of a city <clears throat> that creates one cultural item. Most of which sucks. As and... if that said cultural item was gold or platinum or oil or unobtainium this... or admantium or vibranium for that matter. This movie desperately wants to be a discussion about the importance of film as a medium, and it's just not. So the film in question is, is Babylon. This the place I used to call Babylon. Dun, 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 dun. Is this the place I used to call Babylon? I don't know what you're telling. <laughs> There's a German industrial band called D Croups. I saw <laughs> them live. I saw them live. You know what? At Irving I, Plaza. I yes. kind of hate the fact that that's not the first con question of mine you've answered with, well, there's this German industrial band. <laughs> you've been working with me way too long. I so <laughs> so this, is this is German industrial band called D-Croups, and they have a song called Fatherland, and that's the course of it. Is this the place they used to call Fatherland, and that's how it goes. Okay. But because Fatherland kind of sounds like Babylon. Close enough. You know, I started singing, is this the place I used to call? Right. See, I can get away with this now because there's at least one person out there. One. His name is Andrew. He walks with Jesus in Canada, Graham. <laughs> and he enjoyed my singing in our last review for Avatar, The Way of the Waiter. And the now I just feel the need to sing to him in every show so that he'll then text me back and return the praise and say, I love you, Rattledge. Continue to sing to me. This is a thing now. You've just now discovered random reinforcement and conditioning protocols. Is no. that what we're doing with? Like, you, no, you, I, you I just, just wanted... now discovered <laughs> that randomly being praised makes you feel good and want to continue the behavior. Oh, no, I'm very well versed in that. Ask my wife. Um, however, <laughs> just the fact that Andrew... Oh, that would be more... <laughs> not gonna say it. I, I almost said I'm not gonna say it. Well, if you'll remember when we did uh WandaVision and I was singing uh, Agatha all along, he was like, Yeah, I was almost out on the entire podcast because of it. So I feel like we've gone 180 degrees here. Now he's like, I'm here for the singing. So I just makes me want to sing more. More. Is this the place I used to call Babylon? So, uh Babylon. Book. <laughs> is a 2022 American epic period com comedy drama. It's all the genres. Pretty sure there's horror in there. Written and directed by La La Land director Damien Chazelle. This guy is so far up his own ass. Oh, this guy wants this guy wants to marry Hollywood and have ten thousand of its babies. Yeah, <laughs> real. Except you know he doesn't. Like <laughs> Because he knows what a shithole it is. <laughs> the film features an ensemble cast that includes Brad Pitt of Bullet Train fame, Margot Robbie. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe we've gone to Brad Pitt of Bullet Train fame now. Like the guy that hasn't had like a thirty year career. That's been... Mar Margot Robbie, known for playing Harley Quinn in terrible movies. Margot Robbie, known for nothing. I refuse. I'm not giving her nothing. I'm, I'm going to yell about this in a minute or two. But Diego nothing. Calva, Gene Smart, Yvonne Adepo. Lee Jun Lee, and then its plot chronicles the rise and fall of multiple characters during Hollywood's transition from the silent film to the talkies in the roaring 20s. Robert Winfrey of the Screaming Boy podcast, okay. Yeah, that's what it allegedly does. And are you tired of complaining about three hour films? Because we've done that a lot this year because there's only been 106 of them. I'm 
I, I really wish this trend would die. Like you, you gotta, you and I have mentioned this before. Like you want to be this yeah. long, you have to earn that. Like mm-hmm. you have to just, I, I don't like the argument that art has to justify itself necessarily. I find that to be a pretentious argument. It's fair. But you better justify a runtime like this, man. Like this is enhanced interrogation technique stuff. <laughs> so I saw Moon Knight. I'm, con- I'm convinced. Like Stanley Kubrick looked into the future. <laughs> when, he, when he had poor Ian McDowell strapped in the in the straitjacket with his eyes held open, they were showing him for his aversion therapy. <laughs> Babylon. The year is 2022, <laughs> and here's just the three-hour runtime movies that come out in that year. No, just sin. Stop What's it. hilarious to me is last last uh, St. Patrick's Day when we reviewed The Irishman, and you and I were like, "Oh my God, it's still going on. It oh is. my God, it's so long. Oh my God, three-hour vanity project." It but is. we were saying it in such a way that it was still novel at the time. It was. Wow, Everyone... Scorsese kind of ahead of the curve here. Scorsese getting away with do, being able to do what he wants because he's Scorsese. That was 2021. In so the you're... year of our Lord, 2022, there's been so many masturbatory, Every... self-indulgent, overly long, three-hour-plus jerk-off sessions this year. It makes fucking Scorsese look like um, you know one of many Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, man. Everybody and their dog. Yeah, seriously. Just, Here's a Kevin... pile of money. Burn it as you jerk off over it. That's I'm waiting doing. for Kevin Smith to shoot a three-hour Jay and Silent Bob to stand in front of the fucking building. He's it's not just three hours of just the two of them. One, and it's going to be done 1917 style. One long take. Now, here's what Kevin Smith is going to do for his three-hour for his three-hour picture. You ready for this? I'm, I'm ready for this. It's a compilation of his TikToks where he's weeping over industrial film going, it's the best thing ever. Star Wars is saved. Disney gets it. Shut the fuck up. Three hours of Kevin Smith pleading into a camera. Please nominate No Way Home for a Best Picture. Make a populist choice. You poser. Absolute (laughs) poser. Look at me. Look at me. You should have died on that table when you had that heart attack. Death on Kevin Smith now. It's almost the new year. Um, I, I can't. Hey, my New Year's resolution is for him not to see 2024. Oh my God, Robert! Let's find out. <laughs> let's find out how this goes. Listen, back to this trend. That's what, that's what this movie is. Done it's not even a trend Mark. anymore. I, it's becoming the norm. It is. There, there's no self control in Hollywood left. Nope. Between and and here's the thing, because the the conversation that we had about the Irishman and some of these other. Well, blonde, yeah, like, some of these I other mean, ridiculous movies. Look, is part that, of the, part is, of the is argument that instead is, of streaming, it's like, yeah, we want people to be on the app longer, so we're allowing for yeah. longer movies because one, you don't have theater turnover, as we've talked about. Yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, selling out theaters and rapid succession, all of that. So there, there's, so you can, and then again, you want people to be on the app longer. So the longer the movie is, the more people are, are, are on the app. This all tracks. But here's the thing. Babylon, not a streaming movie. Nope. Wakanda Forever, not a streaming movie. Avatar, nope. The Way of the Waiter, not a, not a streaming movie. I, it, it's as if... I know we talk about lizard brain in... <laughs> in um, well, the, li- the lizard executives do, in Hollywood. 
the lizard people do run Hollywood. Like, but I mean, the lizard people that live under Los Angeles. It's, it's yeah. one thing for the lizard people to go, "Oh my God, the Avengers made a billion dollars. All cinematic universes, all team movies, all the time. Everything it's three a hours. It's a whole other thing for them to go to be working against what logically works in theater and go in theater exhibition and going more three hour movie, please. More, more vanity projects for directors, please. I can't wait till we talk about the money for this anti-Top Gun Maverick picture. The, the lack of money. <laughs> I think every ounce of money that they made on Top Gun Maverick, Paramount lost on Babylon. Dude, apparently... We're going to talk about fucking zero-sum. Dude, we're going to talk very briefly. Like, I, I, We're going to save this until... I want to save the, <clears> like, the, the full-on discussion of this until our like year in review for 2022. Mm-hmm. But friend of ours mentioned that Hollywood lost something like $500 billion this year. More or less than they lost in 2020. I don't know. Because I'd be curious. I'd love to know. Like, I'm with you. This is something I want, like, an actuary to figure out. Because everything that got was supposed to be released in 2020 after March got delayed one to two years, if not longer. Um, So I'd be curious to see if the cost of delaying Upwards of around, what, 30, 50 pictures? Give or take. Over the course of two years. um, The ceasing of shooting in the year 2020. If that accounts for excessive losses in the year 2020 versus 2022, where they just straight up lost money. Like, they released... Look, we had a regular we had a regular release schedule for 2022. Like right. certain stu- certain studios may have played it differently, but that's that's par for the course. Like there was le- I think there may have been less pictures released theatrically this year than even before COVID, but it's still we they were still releasing at a pace with yep. no break the way they did in 2020 and 2021. There also wasn't nearly as many day and date pictures. Nope. Um and I don't know how many of them got mothballed straight to streaming the way they did in 2020 and 2021, where this was supposed to be a theatrical, like so something like Deep Water, which was supposed to be a theatrical exhibition, went right to Hulu. Um, so yeah, yeah I think it shouldn't have even gone there. You know, for for exhibition nerds the way we are, um, box office nerds, there there is an interesting actuarial uh, finance project in determining what year lost the most money based on xyz you know what i mean yeah all right um so go ahead and let's get into this uh celebration of the transition of the silent film to the talkies so to the extent that this thing has a plot and you can argue that point (laughs) hang on Um, hang on one second so i'm at dinner with my dad um christmas eve and you know what hang on before you tell this story, yeah. I was going to say, I was watching Margot Robbie's character going, how in the world is Mark relating to this, for the most <laughs> part? Uh-huh. And then Eric Roberts shows up as her dad, <laughs> and I went, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 There it is. There it is. <laughs> you fought a snake. <laughs> I'm more man than all of you. I don't know. Like, I, I, like, <laughs> Him telling the I fought a snake story is like your dad doing the TikToks for you. Like, <laughs> that's what that is. Anyway. Um... First, you assume the position of the mongoose. <laughs> yes. And then you vote only Democrat. Uh, listen, 
so I'm at dinner, Christmas dinner. And my dad, one side of the table, my father-in-law, on the other side of the table, as they, as they always often are, both metaphorically, politically, physically, romantically, all of it. Um, my dad saw I Want to Dance with Somebody, uh, the Whitney Houston bio. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my father-in-law goes, did they get into detail about her uh, crack use at the end? And my father goes, oh, they touched on it, but it wasn't a major focus of the movie. Mm. And my father-in-law starts like bang, like Khrushchev, just like banging a shoe on the table. <laughs> Every biopic where there's involved in drugs and alcohol, there must be a focus on the drugs and the alcohol. Every wow. last one of these. And I went, that doesn't, well, make, room, that, that doesn't make room for aesthetic choice that doesn't make room for vision you know if you do a biopic about you know you do three different biopics about elvis you can do all three of them differently um or or every biopic just ends up becoming a recitation of facts this happened this happened this happened roll credits which is boring and why would we do that well so you know these days that would actually be a nice counterpoint just (laughs) (laughs) my style is factual um but I, I was thinking about like you know um, Bohemian Rhapsody versus Rocket Man, where Rocket Man was very stylized, Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't. And while Bohemian Rhapsody also was not a recitation of facts, it plays that way. Ugh, it plays like dude. this happened, this happened, this happened. Live Aid. Whereas Bohemian, man, like Bo- Bohemian Rhapsody was edited by Kevin Dunn. Have you watched that thing recently? <laughs> yes, I have, not recently, but I saw it in the theater. Like my the point cutting is, is utterly insane. My point is that you don't. And I was thinking about this with Babylon, even though this is a, a fictionalization of, of that time period, you don't want just a recitation of events and then roll credits. That's that's no, no, stayed. that's static. That's boring. I was I was begging for a dry recitation <laughs> of events and roll credits after like, well, two hours of this. Um, actually, I could have if that home if the movie was that opening party scene, I'd have been fine with it. Uh, I'd have been like, bravo. To the shock of no one. Absolutely not. Um, but uh, there, you ha- I, film being a visual medium and an artistic, an artistic um, platform, you want there to be room for vision. You want there to be room for aesthetic, and a dry recitation of things doesn't really give you that. And that's you know. So uh, I just I tried to make that point to my father-in-law and that he threw the shoe that he was banging at me. And I was like, all right, well, it's Christmas. So I'm going to let this go. That makes sense. Yeah. He was like, every movie should, every movie involving drug and alcohol should be a PSA to people to warn them away of that. And I'm like, um, nobody goes to the movies to listen to shit or take any lessons. I don't know why you think that would work, but anyway, the plot of this thing. Well, again, we follow three primary characters throughout this. We have Brad Pitt's leading man of was it Jack's Jack Conrad. Uh, Jack Spade. <laughs> no, it's Jack Conrad. Just to, <laughs> it's Jack Conrad. You look it up if, in case I'm wrong. <laughs> no, it's Jack Conrad. Who is a, again, he's a leading man and star of kind of the silent era of films. We follow Manny. Can't remember his last name. I got you. Relax. Uh, Manny Torres. Torres. And. And Margot Robbie as Sonny from the WWE. It's Harley Quinn. She's just playing <laughs> Harley Quinn. Can we just stop pretending otherwise? Sure. And Margot Robbie reprising her role as Harley Quinn. She can't do anything else. She can be uh, naked in a bathroom, naked in a bath, in a bubble bath, uh, telling people to fuck off in her natural accent. She did that really well. I like that that's the only thing you remember from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the only thing you remember. 
it's my favorite part. You go on, just move on, (laughs) move on. Oh, so you. I appreciate the fact that you like to try and pull your producer credit and go, no, I get to derail things and then get mad at you for following <laughs> me down the trail. You have to stay on track and just deal with my nonsense. Because I derail the trade and you set it on fire. You hit you. And- if it's derailed, why not? Why are you getting in the way of my art, Mark? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking get on with it, Scorsese. So they all kind of intersect. These characters all intersect at a debauched party. By the way, I really miss it when it's just, just the two of us. When we have other people, we don't cut up like this, and I miss it. I love you, Robert Winfrey. I thank you. Mildly put <laughs> I mildly tolerate you. <laughs> I it would take me a while to find a replacement for what <laughs> value you provide me emotionally. Thanks. <laughs> so we follow these three characters. We follow these three jackasses. Again, around this around this debauched party where Margot Robbie is discovered basically pole dancing. Mm-hmm. But because the original actor... <laughs> like every woman in Hollywood. I wish I could make a joke, but you're, you are correct. <laughs> if you're not somebody's daughter, they found you on a pole. Yep. Um, this, this winds up being kind of Margot Robbie's character's break into the pictures. Uh, Manny gets kind of scooped up helping out Jack Conrad because he he nominally works for the guy who owns this big house. He owns the production company. I forget the character's name, but it doesn't really matter. He gets kind of scooped up by Conrad to help him out, and then he follows him around on movie sets. He becomes his assistant, and he starts you know being a bit of a gopher. And we get a little bit of an insight into the silent era of film, where you had sound stages immediately next to each other because the sound didn't matter. It was just the pictures. <laughs> Uh, we see some movies being made. Margot Robbie's character becomes kind of a smash hit. More debauchery. Um, Brad Pitt, his character is wanting to elevate the medium. Like he, he he makes crap movies, more or less crap movies, but he understands the appeal of the cinema and he wants to elevate it. He wants to make it better. He wants to give more to the people. And he gets wind of the talkies. So he sends Manny to go see, hey, is this viable? Manny goes out to New York to watch the preview of The Jazz Singer, not the Neil Diamond movie. And immediately calls him and goes, yeah, the whole world's about to change. (laughs) Then we see how pictures with sound are made early on. And Mark, if there's one scene in this movie that works... This scene made me laugh where they're trying desperately to get this one take. <laughs> yeah. And everything's like you mentioned, you're like, OK, Margot Robbie's your spirit. I'm like, no, the guy who loses his shit in this scene <laughs> is your spirit animal about this. That has definitely been me on more than one occasion. Oh, you shut up. You get off the stage. You get back <laughs> in your hot box and roll the camera. <laughs> We're going. Does that work for everybody? Alexis, stop interrupting Robert. For the lot, for the Pat, stop trying to get start trying to get me or Alexis to say the c word on air. Yeah, that that's you <laughs> more than anything. Else. You ain't kidding. So we follow again the rise of the talkies, and the rise of the talkies coincides with Manny gaining more 
uh, Prosperity. He becomes a big studio executive. He's the one who comes up with the idea to release uh, live concerts, basically, as film. He's the, he's the reason that MTV exists. The jerk. <laughs> um, and, but this does coincide with a little bit of the fall of our other major characters. You see, because Harley Quinn sounds like Harley Quinn, and nobody likes to hear her talk. Yeah, it's kind of like a, almost like a take on Pygmalion, you know. A little bit. Yeah. And then there's Jack Conrad, who has a good voice. It's Brad Pitt. But he's a little bit older, and he's he's just not the best actor. Like, he's good, <clears throat> but... He has the line delivery of a high school drama student. Yeah. And while he wants, you know, he wants very much to get make this right, he just, he struggles with this. So his career starts going downhill. Margot Robbie's career starts going downhill. Jack takes this with a degree of grace up until near the end. Margot Robbie perpetually loses her mind. <laughs> uh, including vomiting all over Al Gore. <laughs> someone who looks like Al Gore. Uh, as they try desperately to get her career back on track because Manny B. Smitten. Mm -hmm. um, everything goes really sideways when Margot Robbie shows up going, I lost $80,000 in 1930, whatever, to the mafia here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, we're kind of screwed, aren't we? We then get to see Ethan Supley looking very svelte, by the way. Good on him. And creepy-ass Toby Maguire. <laughs> yeah, Toby Maguire from Sin City. Yeah, I, I imagine that in preparation for this role, Toby Maguire called Willem Dafoe and said, so just, hi, we were in a movie together. <laughs> I'd like to do you for this role. <laughs> so nice. let's see. Um, they try to bright to pay off her gambling debt with not even like high quality fake money just movie money yeah it is it is like beyond funny money it's like not even like Wa monopoly quality water drips on it and the ink yeah. immediately runs like it's, it's terrible yep this goes badly bunch of gunfire he tries to run away to mexico with margot robbie but while they're making their they're making preparations for their getaway, Margot wanders off down the streets of Los Angeles. <laughs> Margot, I want to I love you. I want to take care of you. I want to take you to Mexico away from the bad guys and keep you safe. Right. But what if I wander into a dark alley instead? Literally <laughs> what she does. Yeah. Um the hitman for the mafia shows up, murders a random bystander, one of their accomplices and then now decide they'll <laughs> let Manny live. Uh, around this same time, Jack has come to terms with the fact that his life is a sad, depressing, cyclical uh, pattern Nightmare. of behaviors. His career has gone down. The world is not what he used what it used to be for him, and he decides to exit life with a little bit of grace and dignity by shooting himself in the upstairs bathroom of a swanky party. Like that's how I want to go out. That's not how you want to, I know how you want to go out. You may not know how you want to go out. Yeah, I no, know how I you want to go, go out, out charging at a rattlesnake. Yeah, like, I'm more man than the rest of you. That's not this how you happens want to. in the movie. No, 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 that's not how you want to go out. 
You want to do that. You want it to turn out well for you. I know how you want to go out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even if you don't, I do. Okay. We'll talk about it later. I'm not going to tell We're you almost done here. Okay. So he's dead. They We get a newspaper highlight that says Margot Robbie's dead. Manny returns to Los Angeles in the 1950s with a wife and a, kid. and a young daughter and goes, I used to work there at Kinescope. Right. And then uh, 45 minutes later, the movie ends after they do the after they yes. do the, the the uh the the great american movie ride from fucking disney he goes to the movies to see singing in the rain mm. which if you haven't seen singing in the rain one <coughs> movie go watch it two singing in the rain is a fictionalized version of the coming uh, of the talkies coming into being in the movie industry right so manny sits and watches this movie and he realizes the meta-narrative. He realizes that he himself is actually just an actor in a movie about the talkies coming into being, watching a real movie in this fictional world that is a fictionalized account of the talkies coming into being. And he, he his eyes go wide, the pupils dilate. He made ear, a difference, Robert Winfrey. Don't you understand? He his, made a difference. His brain liquefies and runs out of his ears <laughs> as he stares into this reductive, perpetual... You understand now, Mark, that in like five years, mm-hmm. there has to be another version of this, of this same story about the talkies, wherein the character watches Babylon, and then at the end <laughs> sees Manny watching <laughs> Singing like in a, the Rain. Like a Russian, like a Russian uh, box or whatever. All right. Yeah, I dolls. And yeah. he sees the long, strange, unbearable history of cinema, everything before, everything now, everything that will ever be. And they made some very odd inclusions about, hey, these are the movies we're going to show to replicate the <laughs> long track of cinema. By the way, here's The Matrix. Yeah. And and Manny breaks down as his ears drip as his brain drips out of his ears. As he cries and realizes the futility of his own existence as a fictional character playing in fictionalized version of events, watching a fictional, a different fictionalized version of events that's based on a real movie that exists in the real world in now his fictional world. And he just can't handle it all. And he then throws himself from the balcony of the movie theater, <laughs> breaks his neck, and we end with everyone dead. And everyone yells ECW, ECW. No Listen. one yells ECW. <laughs> I, no one. He also didn't throw himself from the balcony. Anyway, and I took my wife to go see Moonage Daydream, the uh, the uh, Bowie documentary. One of the things there was about a, a dozen natural conclusions. I mean, this made Return of the King look edited and short, you know, and to the point by comparison. There were so many times I was just like, "And we're done, David Bowie," and it's like twenty minutes later, "And we're done, David Bowie," and twenty minutes after that, "We're done, David Please. Bowie." Please let me go home, David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, at some point I thought I was being trolled. Um, this Probably is a, were. Was David that Bowie. last scene of him, there were, again, about a dozen natural conclusions that gave you the point. He made a difference. He contributed to culture. He changed the way the world experiences culture. We got that in two minutes. So 18 minutes later when they're still doing it, I almost threw my pants and the girl next to me at the screen. I was that irritated, and I needed to say that first. On the one hand, I was wildly entertained by this movie. I knew you would be. 
Um, that opening scene of them trying to get the elephant up the uh, up the mountain or up the, the I don't Hollywood know Hills. why the elephant poops on that poor man because <laughs> it's awesome and it set the tone. It set the tone for the rest of the movie. You, you as an audience member, are that guy, and you trying to get through this three hour slog are pushing an elephant up the Hollywood Hill as while this it movie defecates all over you, shits all over you. <laughs> That that opening scene is a metaphor for your theatrical experience. All you need is the first five minutes. You don't have to watch the rest of it. Um, I I was thinking about Boz Lerman's um, of course, you Great were. Gatsby, and it was as if like Damien Chazelle of La La Land fame, fame looked looked at the Great Gatsby and was like that, but pornographic. And like, well, what did you have in mind, Damien? Well, that, but like bondage and elephant shitting on people and a girl peeing on a fat guy, all of it. Just so much cocaine, mountains of cocaine, huge tracks of cocaine. And and, and what else, Damien? And, and then a three I'm... plus hour runtime. And an excuse to insult Margot Robbie's body. Repeatedly. So, I mean, again, it was as if, like, Damien Chazelle, like, someone dared Damien Chazelle to, to make The Great Gatsby, but pornographic, and he was like, hold my beer, and then Babylon was released unto the world. And kind of like the rest of the nerds, and, you know, and uh, our good friends out there with Avatar, where if I don't think about it, I'm wildly entertained by this, and it works as a movie, if I have to actually start to think about it and talk about it, it doesn't stand up under any scrutiny. That's how Babylon was for me. So while the rest of you have your avatar, I had Babylon. Whereas I'm watching it, I'm like, you this is are great. Welcome to keep it. <clears throat> I enjoyed the f- mostly, and, and and it's mostly that first scene, which kind of reminds me of the wedding from the deer hunter, but on like speed. Um, like this, this it was like the. the the Great Gatsby did meth Babylon. Um, that opening scene after the elephant of that long extended party that introduces us to all the characters is so frenetic. There's so much happening. It was like it was like the complaints about the Phantom Menace, only competent. Um, every there's so much in frame, there's so much going on. It's so frenetic. I understand why it might not work for everybody. It might not have worked for you, but I love that about film potentially. I love that you can do that, that in a competent director's hand, you can pack the frame with so much and have it still be coherent and followable and entertaining. I, I might almost overvalue this film because of the opening party scene. What do you mean, might? <laughs> um, I do agree with you that there's some pacing issues with this movie. This, 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 this Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I know you're going to 100% agree with this. The biggest flaw this movie has is you could have done this in two, two and a half hours. This is so overly indulgent. And I don't want to recite everything we've said about, you know, the $200 million flyer vanity project that we've complained about all year. We, we That and was yet- our opening bit. And we did that. It's but this is yet true. another yeah, <laughs> this is yet true. another version of that where it's like no babies were killed, 
every, every it's like they, it's like they literally printed every scene they shot. I would be surprised if there was a deleted scene in here. I'm not even. I'm there fairly, is. I'm fairly certain that there's multiple. Like they shot scenes multiple times, and they're all in the movie somehow. Like almost not a, not, not, not a single wasted shot in this thing. There is at least one because there's a take. This was in the trailer. Where mm-hmm. Brad Pitt does a little dance as he's on that table in his underwear mm-hmm. and then falls, right. and it's not in the movie. Right. I'm yeah. actually disappointed. Yeah, because I thought they were going to do it again later. Um, but it's just, it, it is amazing to me. Like, the there are such lingering movies shots. like Movies like this are why Avatar 4 is actually going to be the nine hour cut that James Cameron <laughs> yeah, probably. As, like, like, what are we doing? Yeah. I, uh, so, like I said, on the one hand, as a visual experience, and if you're any kind of fan of the history of Hollywood in any way, shape, or form, I think there's a lot to take from this movie. I think in terms of costuming, in terms of performance, I know you've got your issues with Margot Robbie, but for the rest of us humans, I think this is all superbly well-performed. Mm. I think it looks great. The biggest problems are pacing and the length of the thing. Overindulgent shots... It's just we are there's something to editing in terms of creating narrative cohesion that Damien Chazelle decided he wanted nothing to do with. He is not it, the only one. It, yeah, no, <laughs> he, he's in good company. This in this in this movie that clearly wasn't edited. <laughs> no, there's not a single adult that got through the dailies of this thing and got. We need to lose this. We don't need to do this much of this. No, no one was doing that. Everyone was like, every scene. It, it's all good. Throw it all on there. Um, and here's the thing. You've now you've now cleared the broth. You've thrown so much in that his point about this meditation on the excess of Hollywood and what fame does to the soul, it's there. I saw it. Sort I'm of. talking about it. But it's so diluted in showing so much more of the excess and spending too long on too many scenes that most people who don't have the patience for this sort of thing are not going to be able to get that by the end of it. By the end of it, you're just glad it's over. It's interesting. I have to sit here and think about it and talk about it with you. So I've thought about this meditation on on, on excess and what fame does to people. But kind of like what I said about Avatar... If you don't think about it, it probably is fine. The minute you start thinking about this, you, you you start you start to lose what this whole thing is about, and that is and I blame that solely on the editing and the pacing of this thing. It's interesting that you bring up Baz Luhrmann's take on uh, the Great Gatsby because that had that missed the point of the Great Gatsby in a very real way. The Great Gatsby is meant to shine a light and a non-favorable light on the excesses of the wealthy. Right? Fundamentally, this is what it does. Yeah, Boslerman. Boslerman was like praising the world. He celebrated missing the point it. Of the, yeah, mi- missing the point of the book entirely. And I think we get some of that here, believe it or not. Like, mm-hmm. it, it it's not just talking about the excesses of Hollywood. There's a stylistic choice here, and I understand it. I may not like it, but I understand it. To 
put the 2020 or 2020s variation of a debauched party set in the like early 20s. Mm -hmm. And those ain't the same thing. I'm not saying there wasn't debauchery. There was. Sure. I'm and look, man. I'm not saying that we are a I mean, more. The Marquis de Sade was writing porn in blood and poop on jails on jail walls. We get it. Porn's been around a while. Well, like not just that, but like again, the notion that somehow our current society is like the most corrupt and most debauched that it's ever right. been. Like, no, we're not. No, like, th that's a historical nonsense. Yeah, go read go read your Roman history, please. But there's, it's more, again, it's more the sensibilities of it that are like, okay, so what's the party look like? This is a 2020 party, right? right. That's not necessarily a 1920s party. There might have been kink and BDSM and all kinds of debauched fetish nonsense happening in a 1920s Hollywood party in the hills where obviously cameras are not present yeah but as you're saying it doesn't look like that and it doesn't look like a rave it doesn't well, look like a rave you know i do you think it was a choice or do you just think that in terms of thinking about these things no one quite knows what it looked like so they were like oh eh, no just no, no, no. just I make bet... it look like now no no i'd bet money that they know what it looks like okay i would bet money but you, but, like, trying... but like Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby, where they're doing hip-hop in the middle of this yeah. 1920s party, they're making a, an aesthetic choice. You're, you're trying to convey the sentiment to the audience that's going to be watching it. Mm -hmm. So, again, you make choices like that. And, and I, again, I understand it. Yeah. But we don't actually... There's nothing in anything that happens about the Hollywood debauchery that actually condemns it. Well, he's not making a statement on I'm, it. And again, like I'm aware of that, but it almost seems like this is why the why so much of this movie becomes so like gallingly masturbatory. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, here's all the excesses of Hollywood. Got anything to say about that? Nope. Boobs. It existed. Here's that's uh, my my commentary is that is the acknowledgement that it existed. Because here's the thing: he's not show it he's in, not and using then to the show excess... a golden shower in lurid detail. Well, and this again, poor, this poor guy with one on speaking that, though, line. Get, hang on, it, this this poor guy with one speaking line getting defecated on by an elephant for about fifteen <laughs> seconds. But I mean, you're insisting that they use the party to make a comment on it. The rest of the movie comments on it. I don't think it does. The stuff with Manny and when when once they get out of the party, and they start showing you uh, scenes of them shooting movies and. It's Manny's story, I think, and, and to a lesser degree, Margot Robbie's, wherein lies the commentary about Hollywood excess. The party, I think, acts as more of a tonal canary in the coal mine. Okay, let me ask you, let me put it to you a different way then, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. Let's compare and contrast parties, and you tell me which party that the, where do you think the author's derision lies? opening party sequence or uh margot robbie and ending with margot robbie vomiting all over a carpet oh no her. that the, the high society party is hey. clearly damien chazelle sticking his, rich damien chazelle of hollywood sticking his thumb in the eye of rich people 
saying that right. these are the people to be condemned. I, again, so it's not that he's, so it's not that he doesn't have a perspective on this. He is, he's glorifying the, the old Hollywood bullshit. It's mm-hmm. kind of what's going on here. And I just, I fundamentally object to that on a number of levels. Um, I just want to kind of give my final thoughts and yeah. I'll let you uh, do your, your, uh, your thing and then we'll, we'll move on. This is a movie where I think if you have any appreciation for the history of Hollywood and you watch it at home, um, maybe in pieces, is probably an enjoyable experience. Um, I am not, in, I will get into this a little bit more with the money. I am not in, at all surprised this lost money. <clears throat> I'm a little surprised Paramount thought it was going to make money. That's a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, lastly, I, I, as far as craft elements go, I think the movie does have pretty good cinematography. I think a lot of, I, th- I mean, you, you might talk about like color paletting, but you're also, <clears throat> this isn't a fantastic universe. It's mostly Hollywood sets. It, it's going to look like that. I want to praise the camera work. And again, I was thinking about Boz Lerman. They're guys that work in music videos really know how to swing a camera. Why, these wide, sweeping, oscillating shots that they do, where it almost feels like you're POV on a roller coaster. I think because we have so many like Brett Ratners out there, which is kind of a point and shoot. I am especially forgiving of the Boz Lermans and the Damien Chazelles and even to a lesser extent, um, what's his nuts? Moonfall. Uh, help me. Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. I mean, for as stupid as his movies are and as, you know, sort of a rock, you know, for a brain that he's got, the man knows how to swing a camera. The man knows how to, you know, Michael Bay for as ridiculous and sometimes unable to follow the action is these guys know how to work that camera to create a cinematic experience. And it's almost a dying art because so much is created now. And so much of it, there's no thought given to what to do with that camera. You said it once on a show, not that long ago, I think it was blonde. You know, it isn't about, it, it isn't that you tilted the camera. It's why do you tilt the camera? Yeah. And the difference between the Brett Ratners and the Damien Chazelles and the Boz Lermans and the Roland Emmerichs of the world and the Martin Scorsese's is they know why and when to tilt that camera. They don't just do it for this because they saw it in a movie once. And I want to praise Babylon for its cinematography and camera work because it's some of the best I saw this year. Um. I think about 70% of the camera work, to your point, is good. There's a few sequences that I don't understand, like, mechanically, why they made the choices they made. Okay. Um, again, some of it I do, some of it I don't. But a lot of it's fine. Like, a lot of it, and some of it is quite good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Compared to, like, fucking what they did with, say, you know, like, Taika Waititi and, like, Thor Love and Thunder. Never mind the content of that piece of shit. Taika Waititi. Who is this director of fucking photography on that? Probably himself. My son? 
<laughs> like, fucking shit was shot by an eight-year-old. You're not wrong. All right, so let's get into some of the good, the bad, and the otherwise on this from my end. I told you offline, well, before, off-air. This movie gave me, like, PTSD flashbacks to the uh, Too Old to Die Young. <laughs> Which, for those of you in our audience watching, when you have nine hours and possibly drugs closer go on amazon prime and watch reference too old to die young you'll thank me and hate me later it is amazing and our review of that remains one of the one of the most funs i had one of the most fun times i had podcasting in the 16 years i've been doing this as robert jesse and i tried to unpack that television show and instead had a three-hour therapy session. That's the, it was that's magnificent. The, that's the closest you get to unpacking that show. Is <laughs> you, have a, you go to a therapist. Like. So Refn, for those that don't know, mostly known for Drive, but also um, only, only God Knows or... Only God Forgives. Only God Forgives. Mostly known for Drive, though. And Refn's style is of the uh, uh, French art noir myth. Um, he's, there's, there's definitely sort of like a French film perspective that he's bringing to very Americanized stuff. And he took this crime drama and like French art, new, uh, new art it up. And it's just the most weirdest thing I've ever watched in my life. It was amazing. It's over. Like there's 10 episodes. Yeah. Some of them are over an hour. <laughs> Some of them aren't. And then the last one's like ten minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just what's her nuts dancing. Anyway, so you were talking about Re- you you joke about Refn go. I, this movie feels like Refn did speed instead of Quaaludes, <laughs> and it still results in a three and a half hour project. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you then, imagine if this wasn't on speed? Yeah, I saw Too Old to Die Young. I can absolutely <laughs> imagine this thing going on another six hours. <laughs> and then decided, you know what? I'm going to do BoJack Horseman. Because <laughs> that, that's kind of the Brad Pitt That needs to go to the fucking movie poster, man. Babylon. It's like BoJack Horseman on, Qua- on Quaaludes. No, sorry. Like BoJack Horseman on meth. Because uh, that, that's kind of the Brad Pitt character. If you've seen BoJack, there's a lot of similarities there. Like not mm. a lot, not enough for me to go like a one to one thing. But there, uh, right. I'll get into some of the similarities. So this thing is way too long, for no good reason, for no good reason. Um, Margot Robbie is a good actress, but can we stop pretending she's anything other than that? I mean this for I mean this in all sincerity. Take the fact that you think she's attractive out of the equation. What does she offer? I think a willingness to be aggressive for a female on film okay. that maybe her contemporaries no, no, are just oh, not comfortable stop, with. Stop! 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 I, I, that's not what I mean. Okay. You hire Margot Robbie for your movie. There's a cheap. There's a steep price tag. What do you get in return for your investment? Like, what's she worth? Because the answer, I can save you a lot of time. The answer is not much. 
curious about something. Keep going, but I'm gonna stop you because I want to look at like her anything that she started and if it actually made any money. Very little. <laughs> yeah, no, because I I now realize what you're talking about, and I'm like, oh, that's actually a good point. She might not actually be a draw of any sort. She's not like Barbie is gonna be like the final discussion point about this when that movie comes out. If people go to see her do that, hey, real quick, Amsterdam. Where she gets earlier this year, Amsterdam that failed miserably. Yeah, she gets second billing under Christian Bale. That failed. lost, yeah, that lost fifty million at least versus its budget. Um, are we counting the Suicide Squad where she's in an ensemble? I can tell you, it bombed. I remember that much. Well, in fairness to the Suicide Squad, that was day and date on HBO Max and came out like at the height of the pandemic. But yes, I'm like okay, she's part Birds of the ensemble. Birds, okay, Birds of Prey. Of... Birds of that. Bomb. That barely that barely made money, but just barely. No, no, no. Like, look, when I say no, 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 like, we know how much they spent on advertising that thing and how much they expected to make. That was a that was a pretty serious disaster, despite the strict production to box office return. Box office barely made money, but that was a prestige film. Sorry, Bombshell, not box office. Bombshell. Bombshell did not make money in any real uh, capacity. Um. She's third billing under Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, but once upon a time in Hollywood. But there, the draw isn't her. The draw is she's, Tarantino. Yeah, like she's barely in that thing. Like you could have replaced her with just about anyone. Uh, let's see, Dreamland. Mm. No, I'm not even gonna bother reading that to you. It made no money. I know. Um, Mary Queen of Scots. Nope. N nope. Did a good, she did a good job acting in it, but nobody saw. Um, Terminal? Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay, we're in the year of our Lord, 2018. This woman has not had a hit movie. Not a single one. <clears throat> Where she was the star. Want to look up how... I mean, we talked about how much money Suicide Squad, the first one, did not make. When we reviewed okay, it. Okay, I, Tanya. We have to go back to 2017... And this thing was shot for a buck fifty in a you know in a in a piece of chewing gum, eleven million dollars, and it made fifty three. Yeah, and again, that's not a commentary on her acting ability. She's a no. good actress, but I, she's not. A... In, in fairness to her, she's the second, she's the third billing under Alexander Skarsgård and Samuel Jackson for Tarzan, and that made three hundred and fifty six million dollars on a hundred and eighty dollar budget. So. Again, but we had to go back to 2016. What, this, and you, this, and hang on. And you and I were not exactly complimentary of Tarzan when we were. <laughs> no, no, we weren't. But we were talking about your point about like, is she a box office draw? Is she worth the amount of money they're investing in her to bring people into this movie? And never mind the commentary we've already made about there are no outside of Tom Cruise and maybe The Rock, depending on what year we are in, there are no more draws left in Hollywood for the amount of money that she commands. Yeah, the only thing that she lends credence to, and that's more a commentary on the subject matter and the content than it is her acting ability, is that she's in a lot of prestige stuff. So your point, Margot Robbie sucks. Go on. My point, I, I get like Margot Robbie's a very good actress. Like I, I mean that sincerely. Like the woman can act, and that's a skill. She's not a draw, and it's time people realize this. <laughs> When Barbie fails to make money next year, 
and it look it's probably like you saw the trailer right yeah, when they the released trailer. the teaser yeah okay it's not a full trailer you're correct but there's a decent chance that's not going to do well continue your point i don't i don't want to debate the merits of a movie that comes out next summer no but we will <laughs> <laughs> in fact, that's what we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks, is debating the merits of the wasteland of 2023. Yeah. But like, she's not, again, she's not a draw. She's not a big star. She doesn't, like, she, again, she's a good actress. And I mean that sincerely. But you can't put her on a poster and people flock in. Doesn't happen. To your point in general about the acting, there's not much of it here that's bad. Um, bless Brad Pitt. Hmm. Like, in the hands of a lesser actor, this character is a waste of time and energy. Because Brad Pitt is so able to imbue humanity and depth behind the little things in what he does. Like, it's one thing for him to, you know, kind of pratfall as a drunk. Anybody can do that. Not everyone can do it well, but mo a lot of people can do that. To instead add in this kind of, especially down the stretch, this kind of soulful, like, realizing, kind of realizing that his time is up and looking around at the world he's in and what his life has become and just kind of the, the melancholy, the... All, everything that goes into that, like he gives this character and this performance so much that makes it memorable. He's yeah. the emotional, he's the only emotional part of this movie. And again, bless him for it. If he's not here, this thing is unwatchable. <laughs> like you get that first little, you, the spectacle, because Margot Robbie and Manny, like they're spectacle. Right. That's what their characters are. They are a vehicle for the spectacle of what's going on around them. Occasionally, Margot Robbie has a breakdown. Occasionally, Manny slips into Spanish and gets heated. But, like, <laughs> and I don't mean to say there's nothing going on with them, but, the, but like, you don't have a lot of reason to care about them either. Right. Like, Brad Pitt's character is able to make you care about the character, and that's missing from everyone else in this movie. Um, the guy that plays the trumpeter, I wouldn't say that about. I think he's uh, relatable and likable. He's not a character. No, he's a stand-in for race relations in Hollywood at that time. And boy, should he have been cut. <clears throat> However, I do think the I do think the actor playing him played him with an air of sympathy. Okay, fair enough. Like my my take on that character is that whole thing should have been cut. Like if I'm editing this. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything about race relations in Hollywood in the 1920s. Sure. Like you have. Yeah, we, we don't need the blackface scene. Or it needs to be something that matters. It doesn't. Right. Not not 1920. No. But I think I think if we had a third person here who represented the SWJs of the world, they'd be going. But every kind of like my father-in-law, but every opportunity to address race relations, we should take it. And what and, and what about the gays, Robert Winfrey? And it's like, can we just oh, have was, a thematic there was, focus? There was not... plenty of there was plenty of gayness in this movie. <laughs> I just like they I, fired thinking... that poor nice Asian lady because she was gay with Margot <laughs> right. Robbie. Exactly. I, I I'm just making a comment that you know 
the demand for thematic buckshot. We must hit all the themes, not have thematic focus. Thematic focus is that's Nazi talk. Like, no, that's that's narrative coherence. Yeah. Or thematic coherence. Anyway, you're saying. So I mean it's too long. It's deeply unfocused. The comedy is very hit and miss. Like, again, I laughed at the scene where they're, like, the first time they're trying to shoot with sound. Like, I laughed. Mm -hmm. That scene is funny. Right. There's a bit during um, the first movie shooting that we see. Like, some of that as a, com as a comedy worked. Like, we're panning around the epic battle, and then we pan over to the medical facility where all the extras are just like legitimately banged up and torn apart. <laughs> There's the one poor guy that's been stabbed by a real spear. And like, well, he probably ran into it himself. Right. <laughs> like there's, there's elements of that that worked, but like, the entire middle of this movie is just dead. It's just yeah. dead weight. Yeah. That's, that's a huge pacing issue. The finale of this movie, like, we needed this to end more on Brad. Like you needed to invert Brad Pitt's suicide with mm -hmm. the with like what the other two idiots are doing. Not to mention, like again, the great movie ride at the end. That was so long. The hobbits came back from fucking. <laughs> the hobbits came back from the uh, from the west. Like it was the ridiculous. East. The east, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a thing. It was certainly a choice. Um, we had our Harvey Weinstein look-alike that was there for some reason. Uh, it's it's just unfocused. It's unbearably self-indulgent, and that comes across. There, there's really like two movies going on here that here's are matched up together. Here's what I, tell you. I think the movie's biggest failure is I don't think it does a great job. I think it utterly fails to convince the audience why this is important you and i can yeah. talk about why it's important students of of hollywood history can talk about its importance but the film itself doesn't really make that connection for you no it doesn't <clears throat> it's too busy celebrating it but not really explaining like you and i at the, at the onset of this podcast talked about the contribution of culture that hollywood has given us <clears throat> good better and different the movie doesn't really talk about that and that it ending mont and that ending montage yeah, yeah, and then it just relies entirely on that ending montage for you, and it's like, no, 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 no. You had three hours to convince me that Hollywood is important. You failed to do it. You can't just show me clips of Avatar now. Go yeah, fuck like, yourself. You did nothing but reinforce my belief that Los Angeles should be firebombed. <laughs> Hang on one second. <laughs> That's why we have this. Originally, when I asked Alexis to design the logo, it was supposed to be Hollywood on fire. And for a period of time, it literally was the Hollywood sign on fire. It was our opening uh, opening picture. Yeah. It's... Yeah, again, there's there's nothing here that isn't just, like, self-congratulatory. Like, yeah. this director is just patting himself on the back <laughs> the whole time for being part of this rich tradition you want to make that claim, like the movie assumes facts not in evidence all over the place to try and support your premise there, buddy. And I understand why you couldn't do this for the record. Like you couldn't have gotten any legitimate film 
to be a part of this. Like you couldn't have had, they referenced Ben Hur, but you couldn't put anyone on the set of Ben Hur. You couldn't actually make anyone in this like part of that filmmaking process, you know, movies that matter. So instead you just have to throw out like quasi oblique references to this kind of crap while making the entire point of your movie obtuse apart from, Hey, here's Margot Robbie. She's crazy. She fights a snake. I hate that scene. <laughs> That's so good. I, I know. I, and I don't want to drag this out any longer. I want you to wrap up. But for her charging at the snake, going, I'm more man than the rest of you. I heart you, Robert, Ro- Ro- Margot Robbie. I heart you. And she would not piss on you if you were on fire. I, it's okay. I can love from afar. I don't know that you're capable of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wrap up, bud. Um, yeah, I, again, I can praise Brad Pitt's performance in general. I'm with you on the cinematography. Some of it is very, very good, but I can't recommend this movie at all. Like to anyone ever. Only if, only if you're interested in this era of Hollywood, you like these actors and you plan on watching it at home and you're possibly high. And you make sure you have easy access to the fast forward button. Like there's so much of this that doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Yeah. You you can do this in two hours with the fast forward button. All right. Like uh, speaking the last of thing, uh, hang on the last thing here, like yeah. there's two different movies going on here. There's two different stories <laughs> that they just fail to intertwine. The character study on Brad Pitt's character, like it just doesn't blend with the frenetic indulgence of the other two. Right. And we spend most of our time with those other two, and it's just less interesting. And like, this would have been better as two companion pieces. That is like, that you know, sure. Run Brad Pitt's story as its own movie actually, I think, makes for the better movie. It does. A million percent. Uh, everything no one's about going. it is more. But here's the thing modern American audiences are not going for Brad Pitt's story, they're going to see Margot Robbie fight a snake. You know what? And thus you confirm the myth of the modern audience because nobody went <laughs> to see this. <laughs> yes. All right. And with that said, if you please, here comes the money. We're in the money. We're in the money. All righty. I want to talk real quick. Um, Babylon was... Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, here we go. In the U.S. and Canada, Babylon was released alongside Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. I Want to Feel the Heat with Robert Winfrey. Yeah, dance with Robert Winfrey. You really don't. Somebody who loves me. Oh, Then you really don't want to dance with me. (laughs) You don't don't know what I want. Um, If you want to dance with somebody who loves you, you don't want to dance with me. And was initially projected to gross between 12 to 15 million who almost... projected that and fire them? <laughs> For almost three thirty-five hundred theaters over its four-day opening weekend. The film made uh, one point five million on its first day, including Thursday night previews, and went on to debut to just three point five million in its opening weekend, and a total of five point three million over the four days, finishing finishing fourth at the box office. More on that in a second. So you Deadlines... were all, you were you were wrong for the record, you projectionists. You were wrong by like a factor of three. Yeah. Deadline cited the general public's declining interest in prestige films, which is a whole other fucking conversation. It is. The threat of the triple-demic surge in COVID-19 oh, and flu cases. off. 
and and the nationwide impact of Winter Storm Elliot as reasons for lower than expected theater attendance. Also, it was dark out and there were wolves after everybody. But here's so what I really want so, to so share. So we're making you. every excuse in the world other than this movie sucked and people weren't interested. Babylon was first screened for critics in the industry on November 14th of 2022 at the Samuel Golden Theater in Los Angeles in New York City the following day. It was released on in December 23rd. Or- in the midst of an orgy and everyone came out feeling good about themselves. <laughs> well, who doesn't feel good after an orgy? The film was initially scheduled for a December 25th, 2021 limited release and a January 7th, 2022 wide release. It was later delayed an entire year with a December 25th, 2022 limited release and a January 6th, 2023 wide release due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In October, the film they was should, moved to... They should have just released this in, in January. <laughs> yeah, they really should have. In October, the film was moved two days earlier to the current date and set solely for wide release. And so here's the thing. And, I, and let me quick do my job correctly. On an $80 million budget, this thing has made $5.4 million. This thing failed... On an almost orgasmic level, like <laughs> this thing I, bombed so hard, everyone's covered in goop. You know what? I will respect this. I will actually respect this film, <coughs> if and only if, in two years' time, the director comes out and says, "I knew it was going to flop. I wanted it to flop. Its very existence is a meta commentary on <laughs> the excesses of Hollywood, and this is my art." Yeah. At which point, I will applaud him for burning that pile of money. What kills me about this is this was clearly the uh, musical release of the season. Every December, the pattern is release a musical, whether it's The Greatest Showman, in a few years, one or two years, Wicked, um, Cat one year. Every year. So there was, and and, and I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but but we've talked about this before, where... some year, some musical fucking was awesome in the month of December around Christmas time. It's like release uh, release a, an event picture, a musical, and a kid's picture all Christmas week. Everyone will go see them. That apparently was the belief, the myth, perhaps. And one year that actually happened. Everything that got released around Christmas time made money. And from then on, Lizard Brain decided every December we got to have a musical. This isn't a musical, but someone thought it was. Someone at someone at there's Paramount, a lot of music in it. Someone at Paramount got like some dailies and a memo about this movie and was and literally was just like, uh, uh, sure, musical, fuck it, December. Instead of oh. what you said, this should have been like a mid-January release when there's no competition. Avatar will have been out six to eight weeks. No, 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 no. January of this year, like 12 months ago, released this. Oh, you think so? Well, I don't know why that makes a difference to you. Well, it was that's when it was that that was its original date, right? It was January yeah. of 2020. Yeah. Should I just bit the bullet then? Like you gained yeah, nothing. <laughs> My point is this doesn't counter program shit. It's not an actual musical. Nope. They'd have done, you know, and if you're just trying to release it in time for the Oscar nominations, January would have been fine. Yep. We've still got a little bit to go. Like trying to trying to release this as like a Christmas movie as the musical of the year was a wild misinterpretation of what this movie actually is. Oh, can I also just say once again, dear studio executives, please stop put it. Please stop holding your actors at gunpoint and making them thank people for coming out. To the movies. <laughs> yes, if they, the, gr- the look that was fine 
Tom in March in March of 2021 with, the, was, with the groveling. We don't need why, the groveling anymore. Hang on. Here's why it worked, right? It worked in that instance because one, we were just start like that's the first real attempt yeah. at getting people back in, and oh, two, no, no. I, I'm saying on. back back when like Godzilla versus Kong came out, I was fine with it. And two, Tom Cruise meant it, right? Like now you've got these, like again, I'm I'm convinced that the people who did it for Black Panther, like there's a just off camera, there's a gun <laughs> pointed at them. Oh my God, the people who did it before Dominion, Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah, like, we're we're so happy we could make this movie for you. Shut the fuck up, please. You d- Just it, stop. It's unbearably disingenuous. And Ugh. look, I don't have the world's best bullshit detector, but I like every like every one of these people. Like you're not even good enough actors to convince me of this. <laughs> like, All right. No, <laughs> stop it unless you mean it. Your insincerity right. is off-putting. Avatar Way of the West World was the number one movie again in the United States. No fucking question there. Uh, yeah. Two weeks running here's, here. Here's the pro- hang on. Here's the problem Avatar's running into. Yeah. Okay. One, this is going to be a successful movie. Like financially. We'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. But it's it's drops week to week have been at over 50% each week. Yeah, it's underperforming from what the projections were. But yeah. the projections were also done in a room full of mountains of cocaine and a tiger. Well, again, this is going to get, it's going to be successful. So the conversation I've been having with people has been, I think, taken as a whole, as a group of movies, as a saga, Avatar makes money. Like, leaving, dropping 2009 from this equation, starting with Way of the Waiter, okay. and going all the way through whatever the ending this is. I think they're going to do six movies total. So two, three, four, five, six, five movies. Okay. I think as a five-movie saga, like the Infinity Saga, you know, the Skywalker Saga, I think this is a long-term investment with a short-term loss. I think when we're done, this thing makes money. Well, But, coll- but collectively, budgets versus worldwide box office, if they don't last Jedi it. Here's, again, here's kind of the other problem they're running into. And we talked a little bit <coughs> about this, but they shot a lot of... What will be three around the same time they were shooting two, which helps. Right. They have not done the visual effects for three, though. And right. that's actually where most of the money sink goes into those movies. Right. But like I said, I think by the time we get to six, if we don't have a Last Jedi hiccup that loses half your audience and never recovers it, I think Bailey and I were talking. We, I, I brought this in the chat and then Bailey and I had a conversation about it before I left work today about the reason why the infinity saga works the way that it does and makes $2 billion. Once you get to end game is that everyone wanted to know how that was going to end. Yeah. They didn't lose anybody along the way. They, you know, and they wanted to see a satisfying well, conclusion and they were there for it. If avatar on. can at least replicate that structure where every film builds and builds and builds, and we get to a matrix Two empire strikes back, uh, infinity war situation where like, I want to know how it ends. I think you have a big splash money making ending that helps offset the cost of the rest of these features. I think you're right. I, I, I've maintained this though. Mm-hmm. I think what that movie is missing is people caring about it. Like, I'm not saying no one enjoyed watching Avatar. Mm-hmm. I'm saying people cared about what happened to the MCU. 
Mm -hmm. I don't think any I, right now after Way of Water. My hunch is no one cares about the characters. No, but again, and, and, well, hang on, and you've still got time to fix that. Mm -hmm. But you will not get six movies with the returns you getting the returns you need. Just as an example, no one cared about Guardians of the Galaxy until they saw the movie. I'm aware, but. Everyone's seen Way of Water now, and no one still cares. That's the problem. Give it, give it another movie. Let's see if they last Jedi in or not. Again, like again, you still have time to fix this. I'm not saying mm -hmm. you don't. I'm saying if you know Way of the Earth <laughs> or Dances with Displacer Beasts or whatever the fuck it is, like that needs to make people care. Yeah. Right now, they're happy to see the shiny dangle. Like that's you you're, will you're talking not. About in, you're talking about like personal investment in the IP, yeah. which is another comment that I made earlier today. That there isn't a single working IP going right now, and that would include Marvel. Marvel's yep. Marvel's got kind of got. We, and I, we don't want. I don't want to do another hour long conversation about no, this. We'll, you and I we'll talked do that. about it once. We're gonna do that next. We're gonna do that yeah. when we. Marvel's do got the, one yeah. more swing at bat. If 2024 doesn't. Do a Babe Ruth era, you know, run of home runs. We need Lou Gehrig. No, no. What you need is Lou Gehrig. You need the Iron Man out there mm -hmm. getting who is solidly every right. at bat. But Harry Potter is dead. Lord of the Rings is dead. Um, DC is dead. Star Wars is dead. I mean, Ghostbusters, but it's not big enough to really make a splash of any significance. So, I mean, like, I mean, we can sit here listing more properties, but. There isn't a single live, breathing, exciting property right now that garners fan interest at the level of producing a billion-dollar picture. Not a single one. Well, it's, wait for the top. Wait for the wait for the Top Gun spinoff, then we'll reassess. But um, so okay, hang on, hang on. No, so, all Ava so Avatar has so Avatar has an outside chance of creating it for itself, it but might. it's got work to do. Yeah, again, like there's no. It, like you said, there's no real investment in anything that's going on there. People, mm. you know what I think we underestimated? I, I, maybe we have to say we should save some of this for next week. Mm -hmm. But here's my hunch about like because we have to figure out why we were wrong about Avatar because we were. You yep. and I both. And no, I'll yeah, eat we crow, thought we were gonna bomb. Yeah, I'll eat crow on being wrong about that million mm -hmm. percent. I want to know why. I was wrong. And I don't think either of us were wrong about people's lack of investment in the IP. Here's what I think we missed. And I mean this. Like, as much as you and I insult the average moviegoer, as much as we are the average moviegoer in many respects, we insult ourselves too. Like, you know, we are not above any of this. I think you and I radically underestimated how bad everything else was this year. For yeah. the average movie. Well, goer. if you'll remember, I was really bullish on so much of this year that ended yeah. up becoming bearish. Like, yeah, like wildly bearish. And and Avatar, for all of its faults, and it's like nothing but faults for the most part, is better than what? 80% of the big budget wide release films yeah. all year? It's better than any of the Marvel movies. It's certainly better than the the black adam and was there another dc movie this year that wasn't a cartoon i don't know might have been i'd have to go back and look 
All right, let's um let's keep going so, with the money here. I, I think it point being, I think it benefits from the utter wasteland. Yeah. That was that I have more to say about that next week. Yeah. Um all right. So all three of them releases this weekend all debuted not at number one. Universal's Puss and Boots up for Which a best up for a best animated feature, Oscar possibly. Seems to be do like yeah. I've not heard a bad thing about it. Yeah, critically it's doing really well. Um that got released in 4,099 theaters, and it was the number two movie of the weekend with a gross of 12 million. That's respectable, all things yeah. considered. Um, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, was the number three movie of the weekend from TriStar, and that date and that brought in 4,765. And Babylon, the movie in question from Paramount, uh, taking losing all the money that Maverick gained. <laughs> <laughs> not not Debut, quite, but a lot. De- debuted at number four. Um, real quick, just back to Avatar for once for like literally, literally one second. Fifty-two point three percent drop from week one to week two. Well, hang on, we're two to three at this point. Okay. Uh, Violent Night currently PVOD dropped three to five. Black Panther is going to be on. Boy, um, I mean that in all sincerity. Like, look, and <clears throat> that thing—it's been out for long enough to have made the money it's going to make, right? But yeah. It's got to be close to getting on Disney Plus now, isn't it? Probably, but falling below Violent Night at this point, like that's yeah. got to sting a little bit. Uh, the Whale, I guess, was released. It, it like got a wide, wide release. release. Yeah, so that jumped from 14 to 7. The Fablemans, 7 to 8. The Menu, 5 to 9. Strange World, currently on Disney Plus, 4 to 10. Strange Promotion. World is going to be on a bunch of tombstones. <laughs> it should be. Uh, Devotion, 6 to 11. It's going to be a lot of suicide notes. One would hope. (laughs) It's just like my suicide note is just a flyer for Strange World. Um, This is why I jumped out my window. (laughs) Uh, Empire of Light 11 to 12. EO uh, debuted number 13. Triangle of Sadness. Okay. 12 weeks, but it's not showing what it was last week. What did it like go out and come back in again? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, From Neon Pictures 14. I heard the bells uh, 10 to 15. All right. <clears throat> Women Talking d- debuted at, which I think is up for possibly a, on the shortlist for Best Picture. I'm, dude. Debuted ha- at 16. Of course it is. Like, it has to be nominated, if nothing else. Otherwise, you, you know. know. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, Corsage, Cor- 20, Living, 23, and No Bears. Yes, oh. we have No Bears. We have No Bears today. People don't understand why I'm obsessed with Cocaine Bear, and I don't feel seen. <laughs> um, I don't people. I don't feel like people know me. Mark? Uh, Yes, sir. I understand why you're obsessed with cocaine bear. So don't and that worry. is why, and that is why you're my favorite person. <laughs> you're my person, Robert Winfrey. You understand me. Uh, and I wish my I obsession did with and my obsession with wild animals wrecking a town on cocaine. Look, this um, is why I, this is why I know how you actually want to go out when your ticket gets punched. <laughs> that's right. Top Gun, Jurassic World, Doctor Strange, Minions, Avatar. Minions! All right, so we have movement finally. Avatar shot up the worldwide yep. box office, currently it, passing Black Panther Wakanda Forever at 889 million versus Black Panther's 801 million. It's gonna it's gonna cross the 900 million dollar 900 million mark this uh, this coming week would be my guess. Doesn't mm-hmm. need much to do it, and it's probably gonna wind up beating Jurassic World Dominion when it's all said and done. It's yeah. It, it might, it's going to squeak over the billion dollar mark and it's going to squeak over more than Dominion. 
I don't think it catches Maverick though. I think one. No, point... I think that's solidly the number one movie of the year. <laughs> the number one movie of the year established in May, um, and nobody came close. Uh, the Batman pushed to number seven, which pushed Thor to number eight. Watergate Bridge nine and Moon Man at four hundred and sixty million. I don't know what that is. Yeah, at uh, at number ten. I'm going to assume a foreign film. Right, here are the movies currently doing better than Morbius. <laughs> the last time I get last, to do that joke. Last, last one. Last week Ro- for that gag, everybody. La- Robert Winfrey, do you not understand that it's Morbin time? I understand that my bank account is better than that of Morbius at this point. <laughs> I gave my children an allowance that was greater than what Morbius made in the theaters. And I assume right. they, I look, I assume at this point, Jared Leto is like on the street somewhere with a sign that says, like, <laughs> give me $5 and you can kick me. You get to kick me. We'll drop pants for food. Well, he'll drop pants for a lot less than food. <laughs> well, true. All right. Here are the movies currently doing better than Morbius. Fantastic Beast, Sonic the Hedgehog, Uncharted, Black Adam. Um, Can we just spend half a second on fucking Black Adam and the controversy sure. around that? Holy shit. So, like, The Rock's people. Oh, no. This movie made money. DC. No, it didn't. The Rock's like, so we're totally going to bring Henry Cavill in for the next Black Adam movie. DC's like, no, the fuck you're not. At which point the rock was like, here's my pants, I'm fucking out of here. I it's like I think my when we talk about this in the year in review, I think my favorite story might be that Warner Brothers and Fire a lesser extent, DC is like that last 10 minutes of the basketball diaries. Like DC <laughs> It's Leonardo DiCaprio outside of a roof hanging on the door. Okay. DC fields. Ma, you gotta give me money, Ma. And Ma is Warner Brothers, by the way. It's like, what the fuck, man? Dude, you want to talk about a studio in absolute peril? I feel so bad for Henry Cavill. Like, I mean this legitimately. Mm -hmm. Batman put his everything into being Superman and was given iffy material at best. Right. He gets a genuine dream job to be the to be Geralt of Rivia for The Witcher, and is basically driven off of it by the creatives who don't understand that he's the reason people are watching. <laughs> right. He leaves that to allegedly go back to play Superman again, and then after he films his cameo as Superman, the people in charge of the DCEU get fired and replaced with James Gunn. Oh well, yeah, I was gonna say, and they get re- they get replaced by James Gunn, who's everyone's like favorite nerd director, who then proceeds to fire Henry Cavill. Like the one good thing about this entire stupid endeavor has been Henry Cavill Superman, and he's like, you know what? No, but Viola Davis is Amanda Waller. We're gonna keep that. Yeah, we're gonna and sh- shock of all shocks, we're keeping everyone from Peacemaker. As long, <laughs> well, hang on. As long as you keep Peacemaker, like as Peacemaker, I don't object to it. No, I don't object to it on that level, but I mean, to... his mother still has a job there. I'm fairly sure James Gunn. Like it's nepotism, basically. <laughs> I, I just, God, 2023 is such a fucking fire sale, bonfire piece of shit. It's a mushroom the fla- cloud. <laughs> the The Flash is a meaningless movie now. Aquaman is going to be fun to look at and enjoyable to watch. Probably James Wan did a good job with the first one. James Wan is a good director, but who gives a shit now? They've they already said that Jason Momoa is going to be Lobo instead of Aquaman, which is um, 
Shazam's yeah, going to be fine, but it's not going to make any money. And then what, uh, Blue Beetle. Blue I Beetle's going like, to... I don't want to be you. This is your job, but I'm not even fucking bullish on Blue Beetle. That thing's going to bomb hard. That's going to look... That's going to look like Baghdad. 2002. <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh, my God. No one's going to... That thing is going to be on HBO Max or whatever the fuck they're calling it by next summer. Two weeks. The day after. Yeah, it's like I give not it, even... No, no, yeah, I give it two later. weeks because there's logistical problems there, but I give it two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like contractually, they can't pull it out anytime sooner. That thing is going like practically straight to streaming. And, and you know, but you know what? Here's the upside for Henry Cavill, the good upside. Mm-hmm. He gets to actually have some creative control over the Warhammer 40K series he's going to do for Amazon Prime. So I will anyway. watch the hell out of that. <laughs> Elvis, the bad guys, Bullet Train, currently on Netflix. Lightyear, Too Cool to Kill, Smile, Nice View, DC League of Super Pets, The Lost City, One Piece, Nope, and finally Ticket to Paradise, Knocking Morbius. Hey, Morbius, jo- in the year of our Lord, 2022, <laughs> is the 27th highest grossing movie of the year between Ticket to Paradise and The Black Phone. You got your big a Sony. Sony. I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna turn you in. Hang on, wait, wait, don't leave this page. I need to monkey with it. one more thing before you do. Okay. But let me, let me turn Sony picture into Kevin Carr for just a minute here. Your hey, Sony, your big budget spinoff setup, multiversal stat. Like we're gonna do a Sinister Six movie. We swear it. Nah, you got beat by the worst rom com of two thousand and three. <laughs> that was transported here starring George Clooney and Julia Roberts. That's the state of you now, because this amuses me to no end. And I'm not, and I will, I, I've only gotten to do this for a couple of weeks. Go back, go down to the fifties and let's, let's laugh at strange world. Just one last time. <laughs> I mean it. I want to find, go find where it is. It's probably even lower now. It's just, just, just a point of fact. Um, Strange World, beaten by the 2022 re-release of Avatar from 2009. It's beaten by a Dragon Ball movie. Oh my god, it got beat by Violet Knight. Strange World got beat by Violet Knight! It got there beat is, by Violet Knight! There is a god. Everyone point and laugh at Strange World. <laughs> you suck, oh, and everyone involved with My god, there is hope fired. for humanity and art. It got beat by the menu. Dude, and well, someone well, out there, someone's giving a cortisone hand job to Roland Emmerich. <laughs> Moonfall got fucking beat by Strange World. The no, Northman. The Northman. The Northman beat Strange hold on, World. The a 2021 re-release of Interstellar. <laughs> which I I love that movie, by the way. But uh-huh. that did better than Disney's Strange World. Everybody point and laugh. <laughs> Every I mean this. Everyone involved in that movie should be fired. Everyone. <laughs> Every last fucking one of them. All Everyone. right. Um so no one's gonna go see Babylon and just wait five minutes, it'll be PVOD. However, Somewhere. if you are interested in going to the movies and what we're doing by by comparison, uh this weekend, this New Year's weekend, the only thing worth fucking seeing is um a man called Otto and an Box office mojo saying. has yeah we're not reviewing it 
but it it see, it says it's in limited release, which I think is weird because I, I would have thought it was wide. In wide. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what wide. I thought. Yeah, this isn't always big. Okay, so January sixth uh, is Megan, uh, which is PG thirteen. If you feel like bringing your children, uh, I'm sure Gen- it'll. I'm sure it will scare the crap out of at least one of your kids. Uh, January thirteenth, we've got some competition here. We've got House Party, which was supposed to be uh, streaming on HBO Max, but then you know HBO Max Discovery, and they pretty much just canceled that streaming service. Uh, or you can go see the movie that we're going to review. Oh look, it goes wide release. Um, Okay. On the 13th. Well, how about that? Anyway, we're going to uh, go see. We're, we're going to be, be talking playing. about. We're going to be talking about 90s action throwback nostalgia pieces. Right. Like Plane. Because, Mark, we've talked about this. Like, these are the kinds of movies we want more made of, right? Like, yep. a, a healthy movie marketplace includes a good smattering of these. Yep. We're going to be part of the solution. Go see this movie, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. All right, January 20th uh, in wide release is Missing, which we are not reviewing. Um, instead, we're going to review. It's out now. We'll get to it the weekend of the 20th. Um, Knives Out, Glass Onion, or Glass Onion, Knives Out, whichever you like. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the 27th. Uh, Distant is the big movie of that weekend. Again, we're not Allegedly. reviewing it because we tend to not do comedy. And I don't really want to, and I'm sure I don't want to torture you with it. It's so instead, a, again, that's only a comedy in the alleged sense. So instead, we're going to do the gothic uh, feature from Netflix, The Pale Blue Eye. Uh, and that is actually on Netflix January 6th. We will get to it on January 31st. So that's what's going on. And we talk about the calendar because we see like what's going to be competitive and what isn't. I mean, Babylon's already like not <laughs> irrelevant. So, you know, Ava- Megan... Look, uh, Megan might unseat Avatar will be enough yeah. weeks into it at that point. It might. Right. right. The if following, it, the following it, week house party, if that goes wide, I've, like I've seen enough stuff. Where I don't know if that, again, I don't know if the mm-hmm. limited there is accurate or not. If not by that point, I think plane probably does unseat Avatar just for diversity. I mean, or a man called Otto, if it's in wide release and people, give a shit about Tom Hanks, Grumbill Tom Hanks. Yeah, but um, I don't know that they do. <laughs> uh, something from that week probably sec- probably repeats because I can't see anything that's the 20th yeah. being the number one movie of the weekend. And then finally, the 27th, I don't know, horror tends to do okay, but this is from a group I've never heard of, so who gives a shit? Um, so, it's, oh, no, sorry. Distant. It's gonna be Distant. Distant's the number one movie of that oh, weekend. Eh, probably. Like, even, yeah. dude, it's January. <laughs> hey, and what do we call January? Fuck you, it's January, as opposed to September. What do you think? Need... What? What is worse? Fuck you, it's January or September? For twenty for twenty twenty three? No, in general. Oh, in general? Yeah. Probably January, actually, because um September at least there's there's usually a bit of over like hangarounds from the previous month that are still there. Like there's not a lot of new stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can usually get enough like between what came before it and like the start of awards slash horror season in October, like it's a it's a hiccup, right? Like mm-hmm. September is a momentary speed bump. Like January sucks, not just because it's January, but because you've got like nothing from December, nothing in January, and nothing in February. I'd like to remind you how our damn you Hollywood calendar went in the month of September. Please. Um, 
we we a streaming movie on August 30th. No movie the week of September 6th. Instead, we did upload season two. Then we did another streaming movie on the 13th, Pinocchio. And then nothing. <laughs> so we, we did the Orville season three on the 20th. And then we were supposed to do another streaming movie. We were supposed to do the monsters, but I was sequestered because of a hurricane. Hurricane Ian happened. So September is the month where you can catch up on your streaming movies because there ain't yeah, shit and, in the theaters. And again, like there's usually stuff that hangs around from the previous month that was good. Yeah. And you have something to look forward to in fairly close proximity. Mm -hmm. Like, but nothing really came out in December that was any good. Yeah. January right. sucks and February sucks. <laughs> All right, folks. Here it is. The acclaimed. Dude, Dude nobody liked this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the scissor me, Robert Winfrey. This is the acclaimed critical review. I want to. Are you ready? The acclaimed have arrived. Scissor me, Robert Winfrey. Scissor me. Whoever told you about the acclaimed, I wish to find them and beat them. <laughs> Can I tell you I've been obsessed about this all weekend? I was, I, running, I was running around my house demanding women and children scissor me. For the record. Yes. If I'd known you knew about the acclaimed, I would have <laughs> known that that like, tickled your fancy that way. I, I, <laughs> well, I... Nope. I those well, idiots like, are things that you would enjoy. Oh no, I've enjoyed the acclaimed almost from the beginning because I think Max Caster is hilarious. I didn't really, I didn't know the. How do you thing. think? How I didn't do know you the think Max Caster as as did. Yeah, that's been going on for a while. How do you think yeah. Max Caster is hilarious? Are you kidding me? His raps are great. You are an infant. <laughs> First of all, he's yo. I'm more positive than Joe Biden's COVID test. Listen. Listen, his batting average is a uh, is less than like it's like point two. <laughs> I love Max Caster. I have made so many people listen to like a supercut of his raps. Although yeah. for for Christmas Day, I stopped letting the kids open presents so they could see a supercut of Anthony Bowen and Billy Gunn scissoring. I don't know what. You understand, like <laughs> your children will be describing this to a therapist in the very I, near future. I, I, a therapist or their spouses in the future. I'm good either way. Moving on, the critical review. So, someone's someone's very depressing wedding night is just going to be one of your children <laughs> with their head in their hands, going. And then I had to watch Bowens and Daddy Ass, <laughs> and that's what? why we can't. And that's why we can't be intimate. <laughs> um. Here's what I'll tell you. So Ruining your children's lives. <laughs> my, I told my kids, you don't know why it's a double entendre. You don't know why this is funny to me. But in a few years, you're going to know what scissoring is, and you're going to reflect back on this moment, and you're going to like snort liquid through your nose. And you're going to be the coolest kid in your high school. There's no way that any of that is true. 
it's all true. That's none of that is going to happen. <laughs> hey, Trey, scissor me. Scissor me. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> How old are you, Trey? An 11 year old boy just scissored me. I just want you to know that. Oh, no. They're. <laughs> It's unconsensual. Hey, he can he can speak for himself. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's get on with this. There are people being thrown out of schools, young children, for going into like middle school with scissor me daddy ass t-shirts. Are you shitting me? First of all, I was tickled the fact that they are selling a tickle me a tickle me a uh, scissor me daddy ass t-shirt. I want one now, but of people are wearing that to school and getting kicked out. Are you serious? Same way, dude. You you remember like the the DX merch getting people kicked out of school? Like you can't I wear that here. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing. All right, and now it's a thing for scissor me. Perfect. We live in a time weird, is a flat world. Time is a flat circle, and our fallen world needs to fall faster so we can all get out of this. Ah, uh, the in a rare instance, <laughs> yes. a rare instance of the nobody like this movie. And the audience agreeing. <laughs> yeah, at a fifty-six percent rotten score from the critics and a forty percent rotten score from the audience. Babylon's overwhelming muchness is exhausting. Much like the industry it honors, its well-acted, well-crafted glitz and glamour can often be effective, ineffective distraction. Uh, the AI that put that together had a glitch in it. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's see here. Bob Mandelo of NPR, top critic. It is too much and often, especially in call-outs to Singing in the Rain, a little on the nose. It also is clearly heartfelt, and that counts. This is why you should stop giving money to NPR. Just for the <laughs> record, like, the, this guy, that's, that's all he's good for. Like, the anti-advertisement for the, accepting donations. Kathy Michelle Chacon of Paste Magazine. Through all its filth, cynicism, and poison-inked vengeance, Babylon cannot help but to be a devoted worshiper at the altar of cinema. And its admiration, Robert Winfrey, proves infectious. The only thing infectious here is stuff you catch at that first couple of parties. Like, hang on, go back up to that one before we get to this. Hang on. I wish to actually dissect the argument presented by Consumer of Paste. <laughs> there's no cynicism okay there's no cynicism to this movie right, right. Yeah, like, no. not, like of all the complaints you and i levied at it and i think most reasonable people would it's not a cynical picture no i don't know how you arrived at this being cynical like that's genuinely a wild mystery of everything that goes on here all right uh our good friend kevin carr a fat guy at the movies Kevin Carr, we wish you a happy new year, sir. Please continue to give us more of what we need in this podcast. You are the lube that cre that creates the moisture of damn you Hollywood, sir. Without it, it would just be friction and chafing. We love you, Kevin Carr. Never change. A fat guy at the movies. An exhaust. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to comment, but an exhaust. I'm not. Gonna, what, what in the world am I going to say about that series of words you just put together? <laughs> an exhausting, nihilistic, shallow, overlong, and conflicting non-story. But hey, the costumes are great. Never change, Kevin Carr. Never change. You fuck. You know what? One of the one of the few times 
someone is someone is used nihilistic appropriately when describing a film because this movie actually does kind of tackle the existential crisis that you know, does any of this actually mean anything so it's somewhat appropriate actually oh looky there old man <laughs> yes leonard malton of leonardmalton.com top critic oh uncle leo get off his <laughs> you, lawn you sad angry man I didn't love Babylon, but I can't condemn it either because I can't make decisions. I'm a hundred. But how could I when its finale is a love letter to movies and the way they can lift our spirits? Any filmmaker who strives that shouldn't be dismissed, even if he made us sit still for over three hours. No, you can absolutely dismiss them. I don't care what their intentions are. <laughs> Leonard Martin should just review Hallmark movies at this point. He's useless otherwise. I'm sure he'd suck at that too. Um... Oh, yeah, this is what I want to read. Oscar Goff of Boston Hassle. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's, that's less a periodical and more of a commentary. I feel it's uh, redundant, too. Yeah. Babylon is essentially singing in the rain remade as the Wolf of Wall Street. And it is every <laughs> bit as exhilarating and exhausting as that sounds. You know what? Not the like if you were going to try and sell this as a mashup, that's not actually the worst one you could have come up with. So. Fair enough, I suppose. Oh, hey, Richard Roper got one right. Good for him. Scroll up. He's above that. If you want to see it. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, See if I can find one of your wives. You know, I put up with a lot of your crap, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Could do without the religious shots. Uh, Anthony Lane of New Yorker, top critic. It goes nowhere in a mad rush. The New Yorker, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jeffrey Harris of 41mania.com, friend of the hey, show. Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Babylon exhibits some amusement with its unflinching depiction of unhinged Hollywood mayhem, but even that gets tiresome after a while. Babylon quickly becomes a bloated slug that loses sight of its core. Well, Jeff, Accurate. you got another one right. Accurate. You can remain. You remain untouched <laughs> by us, sir. <laughs> we we will not sully the good name of Jeffrey Harris of 401mania.com. Does he, has he showed up lately to uh, your MMA podcast or no? Yeah. All right. Um, Took him longer than most people to get burned out on MMA, but it hits everybody. Yeah. Tom Santilli of Movie Show Plus. It's a masterpiece. A messy, eye-opening, gross massive masterpiece sir i don't know if you know what the word masterpiece actually means he does not he does not actually understand where the entire concept comes from for masterpieces and oh jesus no. christ oh boy Ugh. daniel soulsman of soulsy at the movies Bamalon isn't just a love letter to classic hollywood one of the best movies of the year again <laughs> best movies of the year let's see here is Somebody. Babylon better than the Batman? And no, much as I didn't like the Batman, no. Is it better than Violent Night? No. <laughs> Is it better than Everything Everywhere All at Once? Not even close. Is it better than Fresh? Uh, no. 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 Is it better than X? You could argue it. No, it no, isn't. no, 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 no. That one, I think you could argue. I don't agree, but I think you could argue that one. Pearl. No. Smile. Better in, like, 
It's less tiring than like smiles less tiring, but I don't know if that makes it better. Top Gun. No, it's not better than Top Gun. Bullet Train. Not even close to better than Bullet Train. The Northman. Not even a pimple on that movie's ass. Someone hit Solzy in the face with a dead fish. Hit him with a fish with a live fish. There's more weight to it. <laughs> All right, we'll do one more of these and we'll call it a night here. Where are your wives hiding? Whoever. Your... Oh, here we go. Peter DeBruge of Variety, top critic. Mm. <laughs> Nearly all the main characters get a Why Movies Matter monologue. Nearly all are shabbily written. You know what? I'm not even getting... Oh, God. It's so true. But piss on you because you write for Variety. <laughs> You're not wrong. I just don't like Variety. Well, you know oh, what? No, no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, no, no, no. Let me finish Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz movie reviews. I both loved and hated it. Deeply unhelpful, you asshole. How is it? Yeah, like that's okay. What the? <laughs> How is that a review? Yeah, go ahead. What was your point? Um, my point was that you know what? No, there's actually parts of Brad Pitt's big monologue about it that are actually well written. Like, yet yeah, Margot Robbie's is terribly written. That's true, but. Not all of them were. Okay, last one. Nick Johnson of Vanyaland. I encourage you to take the plunge. I encourage the you to stand... Nest... The Nestle plunge? What the fuck are you talking about? I encourage you to stand behind that elephant. That's how useless <laughs> that is. Well, folks, when we, when we make our final reference to an elephant shitting on a person... We've come to the end of our podcast. You know what? This Here's the only thing that I might give Babylon credit for. It's the first wide-release movie I've seen that gets all major bodily fluids on screen. <laughs> well, that's important. You got all of them in this one. <laughs> Everything that the human body can produce is on screen at some point. All right. Uh, this week, we've got a Stanley tribute on Wednesday from Source Material. Um, we're re-airing our Screaming Boy Remember Stan Lee on Thursday. And then in the evening... Uh, we wrap up our look at The Wire Season 5 uh, as we continue from the corner to the deuce. Season 5, it sucks. Uh, New Year's Eve, we're re-airing our on-trial, uh, an early on-trial that was actually done in two parts, for The Man of Steel, speaking of which. Um, on January, on uh, New Year's, uh, the first podcast of 2023 is actually a re-air. Uh, it is... Uh, Zombie tidal wave. That <laughs> me and Jason reviewed that. I'm still amused. Like the crap that you watch with Jason amuses me to no end. No, right? Um, there's an unspoken issues for Superman Hunter Prey on January 2nd. Um, January 3rd, we're re-airing our alternative commentary for Kanaki versus Ariola, and then Wednesday, the first damn you Hollywood of the year. Is all quiet on the Western Front. It came out earlier this year on Netflix, but every January, while there's a break in the movies, we like to kick things off with a war picture. So I chose All Quiet on the Western Front, which I think is on the short list for best foreign picture of the year. Uh, uh, getting rave yeah, reviews. It, because it's uh it's German. So. Yeah, it's German. So we're gonna have Andrew Graham on. We're gonna talk, uh, we're gonna talk that movie, and then our money section will actually be the 2022 year in review. Psst, it's stunk. And then um, we are really kicking. Did. I will be guesting on movies that suck and some that don't. And then when that's hey, done, hey, nice of them to have you back. 
Yes, my yearly appearance. And then episode three of the Whiskey Rebellion. I promised this time we wouldn't talk about Marvel movies or polyamory or dating. Because so I what, even I need a break from all three subjects. So what are you going to talk about? Like, that's all that show is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm struggling. But we're going to come up with something that isn't those three things. Because I need a break. Um, and then... Uh, so what, we, what you're saying is the Whiskey Rebellion will be pushed back until February. <laughs> and then Saturday the 7th, uh, everyone loves a bad guy. You talked about evil corporations. And then on the 8th, we are re-airing our David Bowie tribute from when he passed away a few years ago. That was actually my wife and Pat Mullen and I talking uh, the life and times of music of David Bowie. So that'll be fun. As far as what we're doing on DMU Hollywood for the rest of the month, we've got Megan on January 10th, Plain on the 17th, Glass Onion on the 24th, and finally The Pale Blue Eye on the 31st of January. Bob Robert Scream. Winfrey of the Screaming Boy Podcast. What wrestling and MMA are you watching these days? Well, it all stinks. <laughs> you don't say. Dude. <laughs> um, the UFC is on its like semi, it's on its mostly annual kind of hiatus for the end of the year slash the start of the new year. Uh, the first event isn't until the, I think it's the 14th of January. It's not the first Saturday of the month, but it's the second. So my so the four one one ground and pound MMA podcast will be back on, I believe it's the eighth. Yeah, because the first so yeah the eighth will be our preview for the first UFC event of twenty twenty three. Yeah, remember when Dana White said they were going to do less Apex shows? Yeah, he's a promoter. You know what that means? They lie. We're still doing like we're still doing Apex shows. I thought like they could have yes. audiences now. Yes. Why? I don't know. But we're doing them. Okay. I hate them. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I hate them. No, no. Like I would appreciate them more if they stuck to the no fans policy. But there's like mm -hmm. 50 people there, and like half of them are drunk. Nice. So, <laughs> what what you get is presentationally the worst of both worlds. Like there's not enough of a crowd to create an atmosphere, but it's not quiet enough to actually just enjoy what's going on. Like just right. It sucks. Not there's so, nothing like the sound of an empty gym. And Uriah Hall spin kicking a motherfucker into another dimension. Dude, you joke, but I mean this in all sincerity. If you haven't seen the empty arena fight that it was in like Jacksonville between Justin Gagey and Tony Ferguson, look it up. Mm -hmm. Getting to hear everything that they do that clearly is yeah, it's an experience. Okay. All right, keep going. So MMA's taking a little bit of a hiatus until the UFC gets back up and running. I mean, everybody's kind of like all the MMA stuff is a little bit on hold. There's going to be a New Year's card from Japan, I'm sure, but I won't be covering it. Um, on the wrestling side of things, I cover wrestling a handful of nights a week. AW's Dark Elevation, which I'll be doing as soon as we get done here. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Fridays, so... Yeah, this coming SmackDown, the last SmackDown of 2022, John Cena's one televised match for 2022, which completes Mark Radulich. Did you know? With this match, John Cena and Kevin Owens teaming up against Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. John Cena will have had a televised match for WWE at least once every year for two decades. Wow. He Impressive. debuted in 2002. All right. Good for him. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, so, if you're interested in any of my ramblings over there, that's where you can find me. Those will be in the uh, wrestling and or MMA zones of 411mania.com, depending on which one I'm covering. So tune in, read, give those a read if you are so inclined. SmackDown is done live. The others are tape delayed because no one cares. <laughs> Folks, thank you for uh, spending your year with us here on DMU Hollywood. Um, we appreciate you. It's been a good year for the podcast. Yeah, this is the first full year that we've done StreamYard. And we had a reasonable audience, and after the fact, a fairly for us at least not like not by YouTube standards, but for us, one of the larger down, um, one of the larger views on YouTube um, this in year. General, that, just in general, or was there a specific episode? Uh, Avatar had over a hundred. Um, nice. You know, the menu had like eighty-eight. So I was just then there was, had, then there was that like. There was those random episodes where, like, we got shared on some like Indian language. Yeah. Other things, oh, like, like hey. the, especially especially the old ones, like Hotel Transylvania or some shit. Um. Anyway, people I like thought say, it was the movie. <laughs> I just want to say thank funny. you to everyone who tuned in yeah. live. If you were, if you were a friend of mine and you tuned in live to see what I was, you know, before or you go on a date with me, what I'm if, like. <laughs> if you're one of Mark's friends or one of my family members we're deeply grateful to all of you we really are that's who watches live and if you didn't get a chance to watch live but you heard us in traditional audio or on youtube after the fact and you stayed with us throughout this year through our ups and downs and our various ramblings we really do appreciate it um it's i can say unequivocally this is my favorite show to do and i love the hour or two that i spend with robert screaming about movies it helps that you only do two shows now well that that too but uh, hey this is the show i hung on to this is the show i was like if i don't do anything else this is the only show i'll do um but i i truly love damn you hollywood i love hanging out with robert and talking movies it's like the two hours a week where i'm mostly at my happiest and and i'm happy to share that with all of you so go ahead take me home baby doll no i'm gonna leave you in the gutter where i found you I want to be here. All right. Um, no, just to echo Mark's sentiment. Uh, thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to everyone who engages with the product in any way you can, depending on your platform. Like, comment, subscribe if that's any at all applicable. Star ratings, written reviews. If you're on, if you watch us on Twitch, give us a follow. Follows are free, and you'll be notified when we go live. So, again, anything, everything, wherever you happen to have found us. Thank you for staying with us. Share the product around if you think anyone might enjoy it. And I do this for my MMA show, so I'll steal it for this. You can point us at your friends if you think they'll enjoy us. Point us at your enemies if you think we'll annoy them. We'll take that, too. Uh, I will. When I heard Chris <laughs> Bailey broke the furniture in his house after listening to our Avatar review, that was better than any Christmas present I received this year or last. Wait, he, wait, wait. Seriously? No, of course not. But ah. he said he did. and But he said he did, and that was good enough for me. Well, so I'm, also, the, I'm also pretty sure now that Ronnie's going to go back and listen to our review, having seen the movie, he's going to be mad at us, too. <laughs> so thank you for everyone uh, in the year of our Lord 2022, and we hope you'll stay with us in 2023, Great. and that we have committed to helping you break the furniture in your house and aggravating you. <laughs> we, we are happy to what? offend you. I, I am going to come up with more inventive ways to encourage violence against my fellow man. So, <laughs> so with that said... It's for good ideas. Be well, be safe, and Happy New Year.